a lot of times we want to make it about black, white, but it's really about our humanity, right? And, and the fact that we can't get over ourselves. Would you rather have a freedom or hope? Wow. Oh, wow. That's even deeper than uh, you can, because freedom doesn't always mean um, that everything is great, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Even in my freedom, I'd like to have hope that things can <laughs> Well, um, you, only, you only have one choice right now. And the choice freedom. is freedom or hope. Freedom. Free. Okay. <laughs> it is always so much fun to see how our guests, you know, slip into these rapid fire questions. So we're going to take a break and we're going to welcome our guest, Naisha Katezda. Did I say it right? Yes, right. So we are going to be talking today about the raging silence. Stay tuned. So when we asked our guest, Naisha, to give us seven sentences or less uh, to tell us about her why, here's what she had to say. She said, I'm a child of the diaspora with strong Southern African roots. In my early childhood, there was a war and it impacted me in ways I didn't even realize until I was quite a lot older. I have the drive of the immigrant and the raging silence of the solo female immigrant. I just love that. I constantly ponder the system that cannot see a solo female as much more than an object. I ponder the objectification of women, especially Black women, and fight, if only internally, for my right to choose my destiny and not be hampered by my femininity. I just love that. So, Naisha, welcome to Hey, I'm Listening. It's wonderful to have you as a guest today. Thank you for having me, Dr. John. You say you are of South African roots. Talk to us about those roots and when you first decided to become an immigrant and where did you migrate to? Of Southern African roots. Southern Africa is in Zimbabwe. Okay. I actually, my first foray into being an immigrant was actually when I was a child. During uh, the War of Independence, mm. just in the 70s, my father decided to bring uh, us, him and the family, out of the country. Yes. And so I was quite young then, so as mm-hmm. a child, and that's how I first became an immigrant. So um, Zimbabwe went through an excruciating period of self-annihilation. You know, we call it genocide, but what we saw was this country that was at a raging war with itself, and then it manifested in a way that actually showed up as like people turning against half of its population and one choosing to literally chop the other down. So talk to us about what that experience, what the atmosphere might have been like even then as a child. What do you remember sensing and what do you remember wanting and what do you remember most about those moments? So when I was a child, it was actually the War of Independence that was happening. Oh, okay. So, That's different yeah. from from obviously what I'm talking about, the genocide in the 19, early 1980s? 90s. 90s. Yeah, mostly in the early 90s. Yeah. yeah, that's quite different because that War of Independence was basically the majority population trying to gain independence from 
England and the minority population, the white minority population. And so, so what the, was that like then to be in that kind of atmosphere and the wanting, the wanting, the wanting for independence? I was a child at the time. Yeah. So this is one thing that it impacted in me, me in ways I didn't even realize. Yeah. Because what I remember about that time is constantly being told to be quiet, to be quiet, right? You could hear guns, gunfire, gunshots and bombs. And they were always, you know, People walking th- through with like guns and uniforms and yes, and then there'd be government forces chasing um what they they called guerrillas at the time the guerrilla right. forces. So right. it wasn't just that the fear wasn't just about the government forces, but it was also about the guerrillas, because in a situation of war, um, both sides want to hold the populace, right, the population. Yes. yes. So where do you think that you only had to fear maybe the government? It was both. And I just remember that time. It was a time of fear, a time of violence, a time of, you know, constantly hearing weapons. So that's what I remember about that time. Right. So the silence, the silencing. You Um, have it. And then in the late 80s, going into the 90s, then there's another period of silencing, another period where Government is now black government, but now there is this same kind of war that's happening. And now there's still the fear of the guerrillas and all of those things that are happening. So the cycles that repeat, right? Exactly. So it's kind of difficult to speak about because we attain self-governance. The war of independence resulted in self-governance. So it was like there was such a huge celebration for quite a while in the 80s. Oh, my God. You know, Bob Marley came to Zimbabwe yes. and they made us wrote a song about uh, the country and he performed at the independence celebrations. There was so much excitement. But then during that whole time, South Africa itself hadn't been uh, liberated. Right. Ah. So there was a long time of destabilization from the South African government. I see. So they, they tried to destroy the new government in Zimbabwe. I see. Then there was the tribal strife also going on. And I apologize to my Ndebele um, brothers and sisters for this, but I, I don't think it would be fair for me not to say that uh, there were tribal, a lot of times the Southern Zimbabweans and the Northern Zimbabweans, there was a lot of uh, tensions there. Yes. Right. Which is very bad. I had, sad that this came to be because during the war of independence um como and um David, they were strong teams strong allies but after liberation after gaining self where right. we self-rule there was a lot of strife that happened there and then during the self strife i don't know this is the the bane of africa the bane of african politics the bane of african rulership yes they never once they're in there a lot of them don't want to let go you know they don't want to leave right this is the same that happened in Zimbabwe it wasn't just that Mugabe was saying oh no it is Debele we have to you know the Debele or the minority populations or the his own people yeah only anybody, anybody he thought might be a threat a, future, a, a threat to his leadership Yes, became, you know, a target as far as I can say. So I can't be 100% because I don't know what he was thinking. Right. (laughs) But it appeared that anybody who appeared to be a threat, anybody who seemed to be um, a possibility to take over from anyone. Or exterminate. A lot of that happened. Right. So, but isn't that so telling, you know, I think 
a lot of times we want to make it about black, white, but it's really about our humanity, right? And and the fact that we can't get over ourselves, you know, because in a lot of ways we fight for the freedom. <laughs> you know, you fight for the freedom from the white man and then all of a sudden you need to fight for freedom from the black man, you know? Mm-hmm. Because there's yeah. like this this capacity to continually just want to harness the control, you know, versus giving and offering freedom, which is the very thing that you fought together for in the first place, right? right. So yeah. it's interesting to me then that you moved then from Zimbabwe, you moved in terms of the independent movement, but then where did you move after that? Where did you go? How, where did that migration story begin and where does it end? It, it begins in the United States and it ends in Canada. Here I am. Right. So when did you go to the U.S.? Right. To your uh, point that you just made a little while ago, I think yeah. there's a lot more complicated than that because in systems of oppression and systems of, there are systems that are put in that yes. end up creating strife between the people that, you know, are allies or friends or so that those are systems of oppression and, and colonialism was very, very, very good at doing that. Well, so, it's strategic, right? I mean, it's a very strategic system that is always about infusing fear, right? right. And, mm-hmm. and then disconnecting and, of course, separating and dividing, right? That has always been the mandate of that particular system. Mm-hmm. So there's always a separation and a dividing and a disconnection At a humanitarian level, like I'm human, you're human, but somehow we can't agree that we're human. And so then we have to then decolonize uh, or we have to colonize in some way, shape or form and say, okay, you come together and you're part of my colony. You come together and you're part of that colony. And, you know, so we create these colonies. Mm -hmm. Then beyond that, then we have to continue to divide it up in all of the ways that it's supposed we think it's supposed to be divided anyways and that requires us to put in layers upon layers upon layers of division and and requires us to say that this thing is better than this thing and and it is only in those spaces of judgment then that we can wage war with one another but if we all simply accepted the fact that we're human and if we all accepted the fact that we're we have a divine nature to us and that this journey is about expressing that divine nature. And if we made that the goal, <laughs> if we make connection the goal versus disconnection, if we right. make, if we made it about coming together versus separating, right? About wholeness versus all of these parts that we seem to, you know, have to occupy and present our identities in, yeah. we can bring this to a halt pretty quickly, you know. Mm. But mm-hmm. everybody has to kind of come on board mm-hmm. and and recognize that there is like we're fighting against ourselves, right? We are fighting against ourselves. And yeah, I don't know. With, I don't know if it's divine intervention, because I, I'd like to think that with divine intervention, because but I also know what I read in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what did you read in the what are you I know there was a space are you divine intervention. There were the plagues of Egypt. I know with divine intervention that there was the, the asp in the Garden of Eden. I know with divine intervention there was Cain and Abel. So even though I'd, I'd pray and I'd like to think that my divine intervention would be a kind and caring and you know equitable God. Yes. Some divine intervention is not always does not always look that way. So that's well, and and this is the you know I'm reading a book right now. It's called Happier Than God, right? Mm. And Mm. it's talking about the illusion, right? And Mm. I and I I think you know 
he says, what we see is not actually what's happening, right? And I tend to believe that too, because a lot of times we look at something and we don't ask, we ask why maybe, but we don't ask the question, how am I creating that now? And what would I call it if I am creating it, right? And so, and if I am creating it, what's the purpose of creating it? Right. So it's like these three part, you know, process that we have to, first of all, this isn't what, what I'm seeing right now is Mm -hmm. not what it appears to be. So what is it? And if I know that I am participating in creating this particular illusion right now, then what would I call it? And then what would my purpose be for creating it? You know, so then the, so then the idea really is if we're moving towards peace, What does the movement and the trajectory towards peace look like? 